This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emerest, CPA with Parmelis and Associates. Did you know that there is a way that you can sell a piece of real estate and not even pay any tax, even if you have a large gain on that property? Well, that's exactly what we're going to talk about this week. Before we get into that, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. How do you win over younger customers? You let them see their repair in progress, rusty parts and all. You update them with live chats and invite them to pay with their phones. That's why you need to getshopware.com. As a shop owner, it's important to invest in the right tools to help your business grow. Repair Shop of Tomorrow, an endorsed Snapple Auto Care program, is committed to helping the whole shop reach its full potential. Please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. As I mentioned before, you know, there actually is a way out there where you can sell a piece of real estate. You will pay no tax on that deal. Now, obviously, just like everything out there, there's some hoops that you have to jump through. There's some specific things that you have to do. And it's, you know, called a 1031 exchange here. Now, before we get into a 1031 exchange, what it is, how it works and how it, you know, benefits your tax position, I want to kind of go down through a classic example here of something that we see a lot. And, you know, what I'd call the classic example of what happens if you do not use a 1031 exchange. So let's use an example of a building that you have. So let's say that you bought it back in 2000 for $500,000, and now you have an offer on the table for $1.5 million. Sounds really good. You're really excited about it. You're like, you know what? This is finally time for me to get out. The real estate market is crazy. I'm going to sell this thing, and I'm just going to profit all of the difference. And this is usually where I get involved, right? This is usually sometimes where I'm the dream killer, or like we're going to talk about today, some alternative so we can still make this deal happen, but avoid paying so much of this to Uncle Sam. When you sell real estate, you can deduct how much you have paid for the property less how much you have depreciated. So this is one really common misconception here. People always forget about depreciation. Real estate, the way that it works is real estate is depreciated over 39 years. So for really simple math, if you have something that costs $39, you would get to deduct a dollar every single year. At the end of that 39 years, there would be no value on there. Uh, generally, you know, well, land is never depreciated. So essentially, you'd just be left with the land value to still deduct. But a lot of people forget this because they say, "Hun, I bought this property for $800,000. I'm going to sell for $800,000. Why do I have any gain? Well, over the years, we've taken a bunch of depreciation to lower our taxes. We can't kind of have our cake and eat it too here. Back to that example where we had that property that we've had for over 20 years. We bought it for $500,000. And let's say that we've already taken about $200,000 of depreciation on it. That will leave us with about $300,000 left to offset the gain. We call that 300000 basis. So essentially, your basis in the property is what you paid for it, less any depreciation. So remember, we bought it for $500,000, have already deducted $200,000, so we're left with $300,000 to use as a deduction against this sale. So what that means is that we're going to get to deduct $300,000 off of the sales price, so ultimately we will pay tax on $1.2 million. Total offer price was $1.5 million. We have $300,000 of basis. We have taxable gain right now of $1.2 million. This is really tricky depending on how long you've had the property, how much depreciation we've taken, what state you're in. 
but a general number that usually comes in pretty close, plus or minus a couple points, is 25%. So if you sell something, you're going to pay about 25% of that gain to Uncle Sam, State, etc. So in this situation, if we have $1.2 million in gain, we're going to end up paying around $300,000 in taxes on this sale. So let's start doing the math here. If we sell this for $1.5 million, we know that $300,000 is going to be going out the door to Uncle Sam in the state, which leaves us with $1.2 million in cash. Now, don't get confused here. It, it worked out in this example that the tax amount is the same as the basis one, but we're not deducting the basis off of what we walk with. We're deducting the tax amount here. So we're left with $1.2 million. Great. Woohoo, right? That's still $1.2 million more than I had yesterday. But most of you listening, most of you with real estate probably still have a mortgage on this property. And for this example, you know, you've had it for 20 years. You only bought it for $500,000. But a couple of years ago, you refinanced this and you pulled out the, some money out of this property to do renovations, um, you know, spend some money personally, whatever you used it for. But currently, right now, the mortgage balance on that property is around a million dollars. So remember, we had $1.2 million in cash left over after we paid our taxes. Then we have a million dollars that we owe to the bank. And so after this is all said and done, you're going to walk with about $200,000 off of that $1.5 million after paying off the mortgages and after paying the taxes. Now, if you have realtor fees, transfer taxes, commissions, lawyer fees, et cetera, et cetera, you could be left with even less and even none. Um, you know, I've actually seen deals where, you know, the tax exposure was so big and the mortgage balance was still high that I told clients, hey, if you sell this property, you're not even going to have enough money to pay off the mortgage and pay the tax on this sale. You know, this is actually going to create tax and get be a negative cash event if you move forward with this deal. And so this is always the way that I walk through this. Because when a client says, hey, this sounds really good, I say, well, you don't actually care how much you sell this thing for. You care how much cash you're going to walk away with. So let's kind of start at the beginning knowing what the end looks like. They're coming to me and they say, hey, hon, I want to sell this for $1.5 million, right? This sounds really, really exciting. And I tell them, well, hey, if you sell this outright, you're going to walk with about $200,000 in cash. And if they say, well, that's great. You know what? I have something else I want to invest in. I'm done with this property. I need to get out of here. I'm moving, whatever. $200,000 is fine by me. Great. A lot of people will probably say, ooh, man, that doesn't seem like a whole lot. You know, it seems like a lot of money's going out the door. 300000 alone is going out in taxes. You know, my plan was to reinvest this money and I actually want to go buy another piece of real estate, but that 200000 won't even be able to buy me the same replacement property. Because if you were to sell this outright, you could only buy about a million dollar piece of property, assuming that you have to put 20% down here. So we're going to sell a $1.5 million piece of property, but after we pay the tax on it, we can't even afford to get anything even as expensive as what we had before. This exact example has faced a number of my clients. Uh, they get a really good offer to buy real estate or sell real estate. We do the math on it and they end up walking or you know, trying to look for something different. So when I talk to my clients, I like to get the full picture, right? So I like to say, all right, what's going on? What's your motive? Why are you trying to do this? What do you plan to do with this money, et cetera, et cetera. This is not me being nosy. This is not me wanting to know more and more about their personal life. But these natural questions happen because this allows me to better guide them on what the right next step is going to be. You know, and one of the examples I just mentioned in that previous one was, hey, hon, I want to sell this property. 
I'm not out of the real estate game. I feel like this is just a good time to get out of this investment and move into something else. And if they are trying to reinvest back into real estate, the 1031 exchange is always going to be my first recommendation to them, right? So if you say, hey, if you want to buy this, if you want to avoid paying all tax on this right now, what if I could tell you that there is a way to be able to roll all of this money, less any of these taxes into a new property? It's very affordable and it will save you 100% on taxes. Let's do it, right? So this is exactly what we're going to talk about today is the 1031 exchange. When you do a 1031 exchange, you do not end up paying any tax on a transaction. Now, you're not getting away from the taxes altogether. You're kind of kicking it down the road and rolling up that gain that we didn't recognize into the new property. The way that I like to explain this to people is think about this and like trading in a car that you have negative equity on, right? So if you have a car, you owe 20 on it, it's worth 15, you trade it into a dealership and they'll add that 5,000 of negative equity onto the new car, right? So you don't end up having to pay it out of pocket right now, but it's built into the deal more or less. A 1031 exchange works very similarly, just kind of the opposite way. And once we get to the end of this, I'll show you a way that you can actually end up paying zero tax forever as long as you hold onto this stuff long enough or you do a number of these and just keep on kicking this farther and farther down the road. When you started in this business, did you really think that cars would be driving themselves and that people would be buying cars online without test driving them? I don't think any of us did, yet that's exactly what is going on. On the repair side, the auto industry is changing fast. Customers expect quick answers and proof that they need the repairs that you recommend. They want to pay you while buying a coffee, then rate you on Yelp after picking up their keys. So why stay in a past? A shop owner named Carolyn asked herself the same question, so she created an online shop management system that automates the stuff you do over and over again. She and her team added texting in every step in the process from booking your appointment to posting that stellar review. They learn from their customers just like you learn from yours, and it's the system that's leading the industry into a bright future. Find out more about this and other things at GetShopware.com. As a shop owner, it's important to invest in the right tools to help your business grow. Repair Shop of Tomorrow, an endorsed Napa Auto Care coaching and marketing program, is committed to helping the whole shop reach its full potential by utilizing their industry-leading learning management system. Repair Shop of Tomorrow have produced over 50 learning modules to provide continuing education for shop owners, service advisors, and technicians. Their learning management system allows all employees to learn exactly what the owner is learning on their own time. Training modules such as Repair Order Workflow, Advisor Huddle, Business Flowchart, and Driving Profitability helps ensure everyone in the shop knows what the right looks like and understand their responsibilities inside the organization. When the team is all operating with the same playbook, the results are remarkable. For more information about their programs, please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. How does a 1031 exchange work? First and foremost, and I cannot be clear enough on this because I've had some people miss this step, but this is the biggest one. If you don't do this step, it's done over with. Nice try, but you're not going to be able to do it. You need to use what is called a qualified intermediary when you do a 1031 exchange. You cannot do a 1031 exchange without outside help. It's not possible. 
What a qualified intermediary is, is a qualified intermediary is either a company, a lawyer, an individual that is uh, you know, accredited to do this. Essentially, think of it like an escrow account. When you sell property one, this qualified intermediary holds onto the money. And then when you buy property two, they transfer all the money over to that uh, seller there. You do not end up touching any of this money. Now, who can be a qualified intermediary? Generally, a lot of times there are law, uh, law firms that do this. So if it's a law firm that does closing and, and real estate work, they probably do them or know someone that will. Um, obviously, if you talk to a local real estate agent, they might have um, a recommendation on this, or there's a number of national firms out there as well. There's really not someone that does a 1031 exchange better than other people. You know, some of the ones that are more knowledgeable can kind of guide you a little bit better through the process. It's not overly complicated. Most of the times, the last couple of these that I've seen, these guys charge about a thousand, fifteen hundred bucks to handle this intermediary work. Very, very, very affordable, especially when we're talking about deferring hundreds of thousand dollars worth of taxes. So next thing on here is you cannot touch any of the cash. Hey, but I need to pull out 50,000. Hey, I need to pull out 20,000. You cannot, right? If you do not want to pay any tax, you cannot pull any of that cash out. Now, if you are okay with paying some tax on this, you can do what's called a partial 1031 which means that you can sell a property, take out some of the cash and use the remainder to buy the new property. It gets a little complicated here, but essentially whatever cash you take out is deemed as your gain, right? So if you're rolling over $500,000 worth of you know equity or cash in this and you take $50,000 out, you're going to pay tax on that $50,000 that you received, otherwise known as a boot. Why do they call it a boot? I don't know. It's just what they call it. Now, another thing to think about here is the new property has to be more expensive than the property that you are selling, right? This kind of makes sense, right? If you're not allowed to take any cash out, you need to roll everything into the new property, which by default means that it's going to have to be more expensive. The official wording here is you have to leave all of your cash in and the mortgage on the new property has to be the same or more as the old property. More or less, if your property is more expensive than the old one and you don't take any cash out, you're good to go. Again, if you do not use all of it, if the property is not as much as the old property, you will pay some on this. It doesn't completely you know, blow up the deal, but you won't be able to avoid all of the taxes. Every once in a while, we see this situation you know, where they sell something like, let's use those same numbers as before. million, you know, and they find a new property and it's only worth 1.4. That's what they're asking for it. And I've had clients that said, you know what, hon, I'll pay a little bit of tax on this. It doesn't make sense for me to overpay for this. There's nothing else that I can do. Now, I'm not advocating this by any means, but you could also get pretty creative with this, right? Hey, I'm going to give you this full price on it. We might be able to work out some sort of deal. We're not going to go down that road, but I've seen it done. You can probably read between the lines of what I'm talking about here. Another thing is what kind of property qualifies for this? So I have a laundromat that I'm selling and I want to buy an auto repair shop. Both of those are going to be commercial rentals. Both of those qualify. It does not have to be the same exact type of rental or the same exact type of property. Could go from commercial to industrial. You could go to commercial to residential rental. As long as it's an income producing property, replacing an income producing property, you are okay. Another thing is, is like I kind of mentioned there before, it does not necessarily have to be one for one. Let's say that you sell one property for 1.5 million. You could buy three properties for $500,000 
And it's kind of all looked at as one combined deal. And that is 100% okay. Um, you could also go the opposite direction, right? If you sold three properties each for you know $500,000, you could wrap all that up into one and buy one replacement property for $1.5 million. So you can go one into two, two into one, five into one, three into five, whatever it is. It kind of just looks as a combined group as long as it all happens in a requisite time period. Now, this is probably the trickiest part about this entire deal. All this other stuff is actually very simple, right? Find someone that does this. If not, you can look it up online, hire them in a matter of a couple minutes, don't touch the cash, find a new property, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the big one here that can be a little bit tricky is all of this has to be completed in 180 days. What do I mean by that? So if you look up a 1031 exchange timeline, you'll notice that it's kind of confusing. You have a certain amount of days to identify the replacement property. You have a certain amount of time to get under contract, certain amount of times to finalize the deal. Essentially, most of those targets are moving targets other than that, you know, 180 day window, or in other words, about six months. So what that means is, let's say that I sell a piece of property today. That means that the clock starts ticking and I have 180 days to identify, get funding for, close on, and settle for my replacement property. Now, if everything goes fine and there's something out there that I want, 180 days is no big deal at all. But what happens if a deal falls through, right? What happens if you say, hey, I'm going to sell this one now. I know I'm going to go buy this property down the street. But then the environmental comes back and you're like, I don't want this one, right? Now we're already 90 days into this process. We only have 90 days left to go scramble, find something else, get that inspected, get the financing wrapped up and complete this deal. It can get pretty stressful. And I've had people that have not planned ahead enough on this and actually ended up losing a 1031 exchange because it went outside of that window. So what I recommend people to do in these situations is I always advise my clients to try and line this up so that the sale of the existing property is going to be like a week before the replacement property, right? So let's use an example of a classic auto repair shop right now that's looking to sell their building. So if I have this building, I'm going to sell it, you know, we use the same example before for $1.5 million. I have a handshake deal with someone. I'm already in the process of finding where I want to put my money next. Hopefully during my due diligence period, I could already identify something and get the ball rolling so that when I'm ready to settle on my deal, I've already vetted this other property. We've already got the financing lined up and I'm going to plan to close like a week after I close on the one that I'm selling. The reason of why I want to do that so quickly is let's say something unforeseen happens. Now I still have, you know, almost 180 days to scramble and find a replacement property. And so in a perfect world, we always want to try and align up the deal, you know, so that it's very quick from the sell to the replacement property. It can't always be done, but I always like to try, especially if you're dealing with an educated buyer here on the property that you're selling. A lot of times you can probably work out a deal. Hey, you know what? I'm going to sell you this property. We're under contract on it. I'm absolutely good to go on it. I just need to make sure that I get this replacement property. You know, and if push comes to shove, I've had clients that have said, you know what, can we just delay the settlement on this property? I'll let you move in. You can start paying me rent or I've even seen some situations. They say, just move in. You don't even need to pay me rent because you're really doing me a favor by delaying the settlement a little bit. Just give me another two months so I can find a good replacement property and we'll go ahead with the settlement. 
And so in a perfect world, always, always, always try to do this. Always do your research beforehand when you do this. You know, before you're thinking about doing this, talk to a qualified intermediary. Make sure that you kind of have an idea on what's eligible, what's not eligible, how much you need to spend, when the time limit is going to start so that you don't get into a pickle here or you don't find out too late that you screwed something up. And now we, you know, went through all this headache and, you know, some of this cost we're still left with a massive tax bill. So 1031 exchange, you know, that's it in a nutshell, right? It allows us to kick this down the road. It allows us to defer this gain. Now, like I said before, you're not getting out of this gain completely. You're essentially wrapping it up into the new property. And so uh, I don't want to kind of get into the taxation, the basis idea of this, because it kind of gets overly complicated. But essentially, whatever you paid for that property, less the gain that you deferred is what your new basis in is, is in this property. If we were using that same example before, we sold a $1.5 million property with $1.2 million worth of gain on it. When we have a new property that we buy for $2.2 million, we're actually only going to have a million dollars of basis because that gain is going to be all kind of combined into the new one. Again, gets really confusing, but you don't really care about that right now. What you care about is, well, Hunt, how do I delay this forever um, or in perpetuity? One of the most popular ways that the 1031 exchange is used is for estate planning. What this does is, let's say that we have this exact same example. We sold this property. We had $1.2 million worth of gain. We wrapped up into a new property. If I keep that new property until I die and I pass it on to my kids, my kids will not pay a single cent because their basis will be whatever it is when I die. They could turn around and sell it the next day and pay absolutely no tax. Doesn't matter about the 1031 exchange that essentially all gets ignored and it goes away. Now, what actually ends up happening, especially for someone like me that's young, I probably won't hold this property for, who knows, another 30, 40, 50 years. But what ends up happening is people just keep on rolling this forward. They sell this property for 1.5 million to buy something else for 1.8. That appreciates to 2.5. They sell that, do a 1031 exchange, buy something for 3 million, and they keep on going, keep on going, keep on going, right? At the end of the day, at the end of their lifetime, they've been able to trade up and they've been able to roll over and they've been able to get up to a property value of four or five million dollars. Now, you can imagine if we keep on wrapping this 1031 and deferring this gain, if I have this you know, property that I bought for, quote unquote, five million dollars and I'm 80 years old, I probably have virtually zero basis on that because I've been delaying so much gain. So if I was to sell that when I'm 80 years old, I'm going to pay a massive amount in taxes. However, if I hang on to that and when I die, I give it to my daughter, she could turn around and sell it the next day and pay absolutely nothing. This is a big loophole, right? This is one of the things that people talk about of, hey, how do people pass down generational wealth? You know, 1031 exchanges and more, you know, specifically stepped up in basis upon time of death is one of the biggest strategies that people use. Now, another one here, a little bit of a gray area, but what if you want to say, hey, Hunt, I'm done with my shop, right? I've had enough. I've had enough years of fun. I'm going to sell my business. I'm going to sell the real estate. I want to move down to the beach or I want to buy a beach house. Well, if you remember what I talked about before, we cannot sell a piece of commercial real estate or specifically commercial rental real estate and replace it with a vacation home or a primary residence not technically allowed, right? We're selling an investment and we're buying just a personal asset. 
That is a big no-no. However, if you remember when I talked about before, as long as it is an income-producing property or an investment property, we're okay here. So let's say I sell my shop for $1.5 million and I decide, you know what? This time of the year is beautiful down in Florida. I'm going to go and I'm going to buy a $1.5 million house down on the Florida coast. Now, if I'm going to use that for my vacation home, my second home, my primary home, that is not okay as far as a 1031 exchange. However, if I say, well, you know what? I'm not going to buy a vacation home. I'm going to buy a uh, beach house that I'm going to rent out throughout the year, whether I do it through Airbnb, whether I list it with a uh, property management company. Now that 1031 exchange works perfectly fine. So now that I sold my property, I sold my shop, I now have this beach rental. Now, what do I do with it? So this is where it gets a little bit of a gray area. Because when a 1031 exchange happens, you do not have to show what you actually did with that property. You have to prove intent. And so intent means it doesn't matter what ends up actually happening. What were you intending to use that property for? So an argument here would be, well, you know what? I bought this house down in Destin, Florida. It was going to be a rental property. The more and more that I looked into it, or maybe I had a couple people come and rent, I decided that I don't want to rent down here. I don't want people messing up my house. I'm no longer going to rent this house. I'm actually going to turn this into a vacation home, and it's no longer going to be an income-producing property. Theoretically, in that example, we are okay on that. That 1031 exchange would still be completely valid because we intended to use it as an income-producing property. We just changed our mind, and we didn't want to do this. Now, as you can imagine... This does get a little bit sticky, and this is an area the IRS could look into. You're essentially skirting all of the taxes on the sale of this, and if you don't make any sort of attempt to try and rent this, then you're going to open yourself up for a little bit of liability if the IRS ever looked into this. What I always tell my clients is, in a perfect world, I want to see you actually rent this property. The best way to prove intent to the IRS if they ever looked into this is going to be able to have you know certifiable proof that you actually did rent out this property. You know, and it's not a hard and fast number here, but a lot of 1031 exchanges recommend to rent it for at least a year. Now, if you need to rent it for at least a year, you need to list it for rent for at least a year. I have seen people that have put it up for rent, but the rent has been extremely expensive, right? So people end up not renting it that much. You know, just think about this. And and I use this saying a lot, you know, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered, right? If you try to abuse this, you try to be too cute with it. You try to get too aggressive on it. Hey, it might work out okay in the short term, but in two years when the IRS says, Hey, hon, I'd like to know a little bit more about that 1031 exchange. You know, show me some of your rental logs. Show me how you were advertising that. Show me where you were listing that for rent. Show me how you were preparing that to be a rental house, et cetera, et cetera. If I had made no attempt to rent that, I didn't contact a real estate agent. I didn't research what fair market value was. I can't show them an ad. I can't show them a website for my house. It's just going to be my word against theirs. Hey, I, I was planning on using this as a rental property. I, uh, I just changed my mind. I just didn't feel like it anymore. Right? Not going to be a great argument. However, if I can go back and say, yeah, you know, I bought that property. I, I rented it for 18 months. It just wasn't for me. We had too many issues. Renters were messing things up. Stuff was getting stolen. We just decided it's better off. We're just going to use this as a second home, right? If that second argument is going to be much better, probably going to stand up there. Now, there's so many different situations here. There's so many little intricacies. There's so many differences in every single one of these deals. I don't intend to kind of get into all of them this week. That was not my intent here. 
What I wanted to do is I wanted to put this idea in, my, in your head, let you know that you have options out there. And this is something that you should be thinking about, right? If you're thinking about selling a piece of real estate, talk to your accountant about this. You know, a like-kind exchange or a 1031 exchange is one of our biggest strategies for real estate. Unfortunately, that it's no longer an option for, you know, the sale of your shop, you know, as far as the assets and goodwill, only real estate is eligible for this, but it's a great avenue if you can make it work for your specific deal. I hope you enjoyed this. You know, you got a friend thinking about selling, you got a friend that's got a house in the market or thinking about selling a big piece of real estate soon, share this with them, right? It could be a really cool idea, could save them a lot of money. If it did save you a lot of money, uh, you can probably look up my address online, send me a couple bucks. I won't be mad at you. If you have any questions about this, comments or ideas for future episodes, please shoot me an email at podcast at So thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on the aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listing app. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.